Magic Numbers. This is episode number 43 and today the day has come. We're looking at the first peek at the Heroes of uh, Baldur's Gate draft data. Also I'll be talking a bit about Sealed today because um, well Sealed events are coming and uh, very possibly if I have a bit more data next week I might do a Sealed specific episode uh, uh, before the second round of the qualifiers. But I thought that since on Saturday there is uh, there is the play and qualifier in Sealed, you might be interested in hearing some at least uh, 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 information about what's going on with the Sealed there. But before we start, I would like to thank my sponsor, my freshly minted sponsor in mtgazone.com. Uh, where I'm also going to write an article version of this seminar, or at least parts of it. And um, yeah, I would very much like to encourage you to visit them, give them a, um, a try. Uh, apart from me, there's a couple of really solid uh, limited players uh, writing for them, including J2S Josh. Icky was writing a full primer on Sealed, uh, so that might be something interesting before, uh, before Saturday uh, for you to read. Um, there is, you know, there's also some lesser-known players like uh, Paolo Vitor da Modorosa that are writing for them, um, and there's plenty of content finding decks. You know, um, uh, Pioneer season is coming. Uh, I'm sure that they will have primers on something at least linked to Explorer, so uh, uh, you can get some ideas from there. Uh, so yeah, there's the sponsor part. Now, <clears throat> as always. After the sponsor, as always, as always for two episodes after the sponsorship part, I'm having my little preamble when I can rant about something. And today's preamble is that card evaluation is important, but context can change a lot. And this is all about Iron Golem, which um, has popped out as a card that does surprisingly well in this format, especially considering how poor it was in the AFR. So this is a card that was reprinted. Um, um, uh, from the AFR, and in AFR it was doing really bad, no one wanted to play it, oh, Eternal Last pick, pick, but here there are some really solid players that are swearing by it. Now, before we jump into big conclusions, the card is not doing that much better than it was in the AFR, when you think about it. Uh, so AFR had a slightly lower win rate than, uh, than this format has, this format has a pretty high win rate in general, average of uh, 50-57%, and I think it was slightly, slightly lower in AFR. In AFR, Iron Golem had 51.5% win rate, game in hand win rate. In this format so far, it's 57.5. I think there is a couple of things that make it much better than it used to be. Uh, one, uh, there is the guy that gives haste, and that's very good. So basically, you can haste it out and um, uh, lava X the opponent from nowhere, which is pretty good when you play a very aggressive deck. Uh, because they have to keep that in mind. Um, second of all, you have several tricks that can give indestructibility, which makes Iron Golem quite good because then it can sort of be a potential potent threat. Uh, so it can do five damage on the block, survive, and then it has another attack to go in. Uh, so it, it can do some things. But I also think that uh, another thing that is uh, in its favor is that um, it's basically been a bit of a surprising card and people didn't know how to play around it. I think that 
the current win rate of Ein Golem is, if not heavily inflated, it's somewhat inflated. I think that over time the card is going to revert to its mean, which means it will probably, you know, two percentage points maybe better than it was in the AFR. But there is a valid uh, and important lesson in um, in um, in looking at this card's performance, comparing it between AFR and um, uh, and this format. Now, first of all. One very important lesson is that content creators' attitude towards cards is immensely important in how community evaluates those cards. Like I remember in the AFR in the early days, everyone was against that card. And if everyone wanted it to fail, they sort of proved that it failed. Now, if good players don't play a card, its win rate is going to drop. Because who plays it then? Well, people who don't know how to evaluate cards, uh, or at least who don't evaluate the cards the same as majority of the grinders. If some grinders start playing it, obviously the win rate of the card is going to go up because uh, if good players play a card, they just have good win rates uh, independently if they play Iron Golem or not because you know they also are good players. They, they can do much more with the same set of cards than a player who is just a beginner, for example. So there is a bit of that in it, but looking at number six percentage points, even taking into account two, three percentage point difference in win rate in the set, means it's markedly better. And yes, it can be that it's because of the small sample size, but I think that some of the, um, uh, some of the results are real and in some decks, Ein Golem can be a valid choice of a card to put in your deck. And we're going to talk a bit about it later in the uh, seminar. But important part of the preamble, context matters, same card between different formats can have very drastically different evaluation. And Angolum is just one example, and possibly maybe not even the best, but there are plenty of cards that have been proven to be really good in one format, really bad in one format. And this is my general grudge against um, uh, set reviews, that set reviews usually evaluate card in vacuum. And I know that it's possibly the best way to do it pre-set uh, release because you don't know context before the cards uh, hit the table. But um, uh, but it means that it will miss on the cards that uh, are really, really very context dependent. Now, let's jump into the first part of the data. So um, normally when I look at the data, I usually have already the big uh, Excel sheets and I can, I can dig a bit deeper into the uh, average game length performance and stuff like that. Don't have that yet, but hopefully next couple of weeks, I will definitely make a deeper dive into this format because this format has something that um, uh, uh, previous formats did not and I'll tell you that in a second. But first, let's look at the color data. And by color data, I don't mean which colors are good, but how many colors should you, should you be playing? Now, the people have spoken. And if you look at this graph, almost 70%. If only it was 1% more, it would have been 70%. But like that, it's a completely insignificant number that is just one less than 70. Uh, but almost 70% of the people play two color decks. And the additional 22, 23% of the players play two color and uh, splash. Uh, so it is a predominantly two color set. Maybe you can do some splashing. Um, there's been only 5% of the decks that play three colors and almost uh, you know negligible amount of uh, decks with like um, super dirtle. And also there is roughly 2% of mono decks and mono decks with, uh, with a splash. How does it translate to win rate? Um, it's basically almost linearly decreasing. So mono decks have the highest win rate and it just continues dropping. Uh, 
Now, of course, you can't just assume that you will draft the monocolored deck. It will come together once the blue moon. As I told you, 2% of decks are monocolored, and um, it's not something that happens very frequently. You just need to have a color ridiculously open on the table, but also at the same time, you need that color to be um, uh, opened in the right amount and possibly in the right order. Um, majority of those monocolored decks, and um, especially those successful ones, were either white, black, or red. Um, just for your information, that mono blue was not particularly highly represented. Also, probably was not very strong. So mono white, I think, is the strongest deck. Mono black is probably the second strongest. And mono red is the third strongest. But then um, two-color decks and monocolor decks with a splash have almost the same win average win rate. Uh, so as monocolor decks have a 60% win rate, monocolor splash 57.6, two-color decks 57.4. So two-color decks do perfectly fine. You have to keep in mind, this is a format with not so much fixing at, uh, when it comes to lands. So it's not super easy to play more than two colors. And you should probably stick with that. Your mana base is going to be, most of the time, something like 9, 8, maybe 10, 7, uh, maybe 11, 6, if, if, you're, um, if you're super heavy on one color. But these are not good mana bases. The lack of um, two color fixing lands is uh, palpable in this set. And that will probably exacerbate some of the problems that this format is facing. Two-color decks with a splash already hold two percentage points lower win rate at 55.2. Three-color decks go down by even further by almost four percentage points from two-color splash. So three-color decks have a 51.6% uh, win rate. Notably, majority of the three-color decks are Timor Dragons, probably, that people try to draft in the early uh, format. And they have a pretty bad win rate also. So they have around 49, maybe 50% win rate. So the, it's not like um, the three-color dragon deck seems to be performing very well. Now, of course, I'm sure you can find um, examples uh, of, of a good deck. It's just I'm talking like on average, they are not going to do particularly well. And then we have three-color in the splash, 51% win rate, four-color decks around 44, 41% win rate, depending if it's splash or not. But these are based on small numbers, so that's also not a very valuable uh, uh, information. Just basically think very hard if you want to splash in your two-color deck, and but most of the time stick with two colors. And if you see an opportunity of drafting mono-white, go for it. That's the uh, long story short. <coughs> now, there is, of course, um, this is a two-color format. So we can instantly start focusing on the uh, two-color pairs and, and their uh, popularity. So I first start with the data on how frequently people draft those two color combinations. And the first, the top three of the colors that are uh, color pairs that are drafted by 17 land users, which is very different from um, uh, what non-17 land users do. Uh, possibly I will have the data on what non-17 land users do next week. Uh, because the differences between those two are important if you want to evaluate if a color combination is on average open. Um, but around 19.6% of the deck of the games played by 17 land users were played with a Boros deck from all the games that have two color decks. 18.4% um, of the games Rakdos and 17.1% Orzhov. So these three constitute like the vast majority of, um, of all the decks. So if you add that up, it's going to be something like 55%. 55% of the games in those two colors, which is impressive, uh, uh, to be fair. Now, 
there is a big drop between those Mardu color combinations. So as you can see, all three of them are Mardu in some way, red, white, black, red, white, black. Uh, distant fourth place, uh, but also in the, well, much more than other combinations is Celestia, which has 12% uh, of the games played by 17 minutes users were played with Celestia decks. Uh, then another big drop, and we have Golgari with 8.3%, and then, then slight drops with Gruul 6.6%, Azorius, so white blue, 5.8%, uh, um, Dimir 5.2%, so blue black, Simic um, uh, blue green at 3.9, and we close up with Is it at uh, 3.2. As you can see, the bottom is all the blue decks basically. People, uh, 17 lens users, seem to actively avoid blue. And I think that in some cases it's a good thing that they're doing, but I think that in one particular case maybe they should uh, maybe they should uh, go a bit deeper into blue. I think. And this is why. So this is these are the win rates. And here again we have two runaway winners in terms of win rate: uh, Boros and Orzov, uh, sixty point three and sixty point zero percent. Not much between those two. <clears throat> but they look much better than anything else. Then we have a slight drop, and we have uh, green-white Selesnya and uh, uh, black-red Rakdos at 58.4 and 57.9, so like roughly two percentage points uh, lower than the Orzov and Boros decks. Then we have a slight drop, um, and there is Golgari at 56.7% win rate. And then we have a bigger drop, and we have Simic, so the first of the blue-color combinations at 546 Another one percentage point lower, Azorius, the uh, blue-white, uh, 53.4, then uh, Gruul, 53.1, Demir, 52.7, and a massive drop at the end, and there's the Izzet at 49.4. So even the illustrious um, 17 lens users are not capable of squeezing out a win rate higher than 50% with Izzet decks. Um, so, yeah, basically, when you look at that, Boros and Orzov seem way better. So if you keep the Bardu colors and have white in the deck, that seems like the way to go. Third deck is also having white, Selesnya, and it has really good numbers. I think it's maybe slightly underappreciated by people uh, drafting uh, how good Selesnya is in this format. Ragdos probably is a bit overrated uh, because it's drafted quite a lot, but the results are actually lower than Selesnya. Uh, but it might be something to do with uh, people knowing how to draft uh, Rakdos because it's almost the same as an AFR in, on, on the common level, at least. And then the, the decks that show promise to me of improving in the second uh, part of the format are Golgari and Simic, uh, which, you know, Golgari has decent numbers. It's slightly below the uh, other four, but it's promising. Uh, and Simic is, uh, well... Simic is higher than any of the blue decks, and I think there is potential for us to build better builds of Simic and figure them out and, and, and boost that win rates ever so slightly, especially if people will continue to avoid blue and if that trend of avoiding blue is going to spread to also non-17 lens users, which might take a bit more time. This is the part of the magic of the self-correcting nature of the draft. With time, blue should be more open, and then um, you can opportunistically draft blue uh, if you if you know how to. Uh, 
Klarm in the chat says that blue white also has potential. I think it might. It might. And we will look in in a second into those data. <clears throat> so um, I wanted to say something about the play advantage of those uh, of the last few sets. Um, so here we have a graph that I copied from 17lens.com, as you know, all the data are from 17lens.com, but because I don't have the raw uh, data, I have to rely on what's available on the website for now. Um, this is the axis of average number of turns, and this is the axis of the game win rate on play. So basically, the higher the win rate on play, the biggest advantage you get from starting, um, and the uh, lower number of average turns, the faster the games are in general. And uh, we have the sets from, I think, starting with Kaltheim and ending with um, uh, here, uh, uh, Alchemy Horizons. So Alchemy Horizons is here uh, with this uh, beautiful symbol. And you can see that there is a sort of um, uh, uh, interaction between the how long do games last and um, uh, what advantage you get for being on the play. And Heroes of Baldur's Gate is the fastest set that I think we ever had on Arena for now, at least it looks like. Average uh, game lasts 8.8 .8 turns. Um, so that's 0.3 turns quicker than uh, AFR or Midnight Hunt. Uh, uh, 0.7 um, turns um, uh, quicker than uh, Kamigawa. And, ah! and a whole turn and a bit faster than Strixhaven games. So <coughs> um, this also um, transfers to have a higher on-the-play advantage. So it will probably become frustrating at certain stage that um, this format can absolutely be unfair if you uh, uh, flip the tails when you need it had several times in one draft because you're going to lose some games just because you are not on the draw and you know a perfectly serviceable deck can uh, can have a subpar performance but you know coin flips are fair in the large sample if you play many games you will also have drafts when you will uh, flip the right side uh, many times and win games because of that so you know it fe it's a feels bad when you lose a draft because you um, uh, are on the draw every single game but also keep in mind that you will have the drafts when you will be on the play every single game and you will uh, win more from those games. So just don't forget remembering about the upsides and not only focus on the downsides. I recommend this way of life in general. But also from my personal experience, I know that even if you play slower decks, barring some kind of absolutely mental um, opening hands, um, you can slow down the game and you can uh, uh, make those aggro decks play a long game where they don't feel comfortable. Um, if you build your deck carefully, I think that you can avoid a bunch of this problem. Uh, there's a question in the chat from Mirror Breaker. Um, do these stats change in best of one? Now, um, they do, they do. Um, I have to take a look at the, the data on the website and there's so much clicking to get that to to be visible uh okay that's double feature we don't want that area will drain wow so many sets just last couple of oh no okay korea afr let's try it where do we have it so 
uh, it is actually even faster in traditional draft. So the games last a whole 0.4 turns uh, 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 less in um, in best of three than they do in best of one. Um, and the play advantage in traditional draft is uh, even higher. So you get like 54% win rate when you're on the play. And that's when I, when I say 54% win rate or 53 in this case uh, percent win rate um, on the play advantage, this counts a sort of normalized win rate. So you all know that the average win rate of 17 lands players is um, way above 50%. Like in, in case of this set, it's 56. Uh, but how we calculate the uh, on-play advantage is you calculate it for 17 land user and their opponent. Um, and because you do that, the average win rate of 17 lands users and their opponents is 50 because either one wins or the other, ta-da. Um, so then you can recalculate it like that. And uh, the, on the play advantage, it's not only for 17 lands users, it's for any user basically of Arena that uh, was caught by the data from 17 lands. Um, and then it's 53%. So uh, important to keep that up. But this is big because that means that there's a six percentage points uh, between when you start and when you, uh, when you don't. That's, you know, like half a mulligan really. Uh, in terms of the scale, because mulligan is usually 12 to 18 uh, percentage points difference between not mulliganing. So let that sink in that uh, by, by flipping a coin, you're sort of taking a half of mulligan roughly. Okay, let's remove that from the question pane um, and move further. Uh, where are we? So now I wanted to talk a bit about color openness. And this is something I introduced in my previous seminars. Uh, so if you miss them, well, tough luck. I'll have to explain it again. Obviously, tough luck for me. But this is a sort of very simplistic calculation of how many good cards will you see per draft on average um, uh, in each color pair. And by good cards, I uh, have a very rigid definition, and I carried it over between formats. It's 56% uh, game and hand win rate. Um, so basically how the method works like is I take the list of all the cards that have a, a game in hand win rate of over 56% in a particular color combination. And then uh, using ALSA, so uh, how late do you see a card during the draft? I can calculate on average, how many of this card will you see per pod? So if you see on average um, uh, 2.4 of each common uh, per pod, um, if you would, you know, if, if it always will um, uh, go around the table. This means that if you see a card on, as an also, sorry, average four, um, you will see around 1.2 of this card and so on and so on. So you can, you can sort of calculate um, uh, how many of the particular cards will you see on average based on the ALSA. And if you know that, you can add up all the all those numbers that you get, how many of each card over 56% you will see per pod and you come up with a number and that's the sort of openness of the color in my calculations. So without further ado, you can see that um, in white black, you will see on average 53.28, whatever. I mean, I should have probably trimmed those uh, uh, decimals there. They're absolutely useless, but around 53 cards uh, in white black um, uh, per, per draft you will see. So, you know, even if you are a bit into forcing uh, white and black, you have a pretty good chance of, of, of getting there because there's so many good white and black cards around the table that you will make a deck. And that's probably why 17 lens users, without knowing this particular numbers, but by seeing what's going around and which cards are good, will 
tend to draft white black and white red, which is the second one um, that has 50.2 cards on average per pod. And then white green that has 47.45 um, uh, cards per, per pod. Uh, that's interestingly, uh, fourth archetype is not black red, which you would might be expect from the win rate, but it's actually black green, and that's 42.7 cards, and then slightly less for black red, 40.6. I guess that you know red is slightly more challenged, but it also maybe has slightly weaker cards. Uh, then we have blue green. That's why I said that I'm pretty much um, hopeful for that color combination because it has roughly 37 uh, good cards opened per pod. And then there's a big, big drop off. So these cards were sort of dropping linearly until then. Now we have a shift and only 20 cards in white blue um, that are seen per pod that are having a game and hand win rate of 50, over 56%. Um, 14 uh, for blue, black, nine and a half for red, green, and only 0.7 good cards per uh, for a blue, red deck. Now, this is a metric that has several biases. And biases are not bad if you are aware of them. Like, first of all, of course, winning color pairs will have more cards with win rate of 56% and more. I made that choice consciously to uh, select that kind of um, uh, win rate threshold because I know that better co colors will have more cards open because they have more good cards because they are better colors. So uh, I want to take that into account. But I mean, obviously, if I would have made that top five commons, let's say, uh, how many of them do you see per draft and blah, 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 you would come with a completely different uh, number. Second problem with that is that there are very niche cards that have um, high win rate. And those cards will sometimes inflate how many of the cards you see open per pot. So, for example, if uh, in white black, the uh, instant that gives plus one, plus O, oh, and indestructible uh, is definitely over 56% win rate in, in, in white and black, you will probably see two point something copies of that card because it almost always wheels. Uh, so you see quite a lot of them, but obviously you don't want two of those in your deck. So you see multiples of them per pod, but you probably didn't, like only the first one counts. I don't want to introduce this additional uh, caveats to my method. So I just show you all the cards, but you know, some of them, you don't want to have more than one copy in your deck. And uh, usually the cards that you don't want to have more than one copy in your deck are the cards that are wheeling freely. So they would inflate slightly this statistic. But still, I think it's pretty useful. It's pretty useful in looking at um, how do this open, does this openness link to the win rate of the decks? And uh, you see that the top two decks, the white, black, and white, red, are also top two decks by win rate. And then we have Celestia, which is third by win rate. So there is there's something something there. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, same color dots as my as my laser pointer. But laser pointer has a laser tail, so that's fine. And you can see that um, there is a link between how many cards are open and um, uh, and archetype win rate. Uh, that is depending how you want to interpret it, either something like a sigmoidal, sigmoidal curve, but it can also be pretty much linear. So the more open the color, the higher the win rate. But it also is partially linked, so you can't draw too many conclusions about them. What, why I like to make this the, um, um, this uh, this particular graph is that I can see decks that are slightly more open but have a slightly lower win rate. Um, if I see deck like this, and this 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 for example is uh, black green, this prompts me that at least 
part of the users are potentially building their uh, green black decks not correctly. Um, and there is potential for uh, making the builds better because there is good cards open every pod in that deck. Uh, so potentially it could, should should move somewhere somewhere to, towards this 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 area in terms of win rate. So that's why I'm a bit hopeful. And it's also like this deck, which uh, I guess this is green blue Simic, uh, also has plenty of good cards open, but slightly low win rates. So maybe with better building, it can move somewhere into this area. Uh, so we can have this like nice and linear uh, thing. So yeah, move it, move it, move it a bit uh, to the side. So this is a method that sort of I like to use to feel in which cases the builds of the decks are um, not particularly uh, honed in yet. And this is another lesson uh, for any format that. Um, what I noticed already in several last formats is that the deck that is the top winning deck in the first couple of weeks is the deck that is the easiest to construct and maybe most straightforward and usually is the one where what Wizards tells you that you should do is actually working. Uh, and I think that Boros is a prime example. They put so many creatures with double team in the format. Uh, they put so many aggressive things um, that you basically can figure it out how to build it quite easy. Some fine tunes are, of course, necessary, but it basically does what it says on the tin. Every single white and red card tells you double team, and that's what you do, and that's what's successful. While I think black-green, there's different uh, builds that can be quite um, uh, quite subtle, and we still have to figure out how to build them. And same with the uh, blue-green. I think there's a couple of cards that are underutilized in those builds to the detriment of the results. Okay. But of course, not cards are made equal. When I look at this color openness, it sort of blends together bombs um, and, 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 and decent cards. So I subdivided them into a couple of additional categories. I have bombs, that are, those are the cards that are having over 60% win rate. Great cards that are between 58 and 60%. And good cards between 56 and 58% win rate. Um, and um, just look at, at, at those. And you can see that uh, white, black and white, red, red color is the bombs. They have plenty of bombs. So the, obviously bombs are not necessarily bomb rares. It's just cards with win rate over 60. So these must have plenty of commons that have a win rate of over 60. Um, and you can see that in the data. And there's a big drop of uh, after white, black and white, red uh, in terms of uh, those bomb cards. Um, while, for example, like uh, blue, green, has plenty of those good cards that just have over 56 to 58%, but but much fewer of the uh, over 60% uh, win rate cards. So that, that's also partially why the difference uh, between them uh, might be slightly bigger. But interestingly, black-green has a bunch of bombs. And this is, again, something that hints me that black-green might be better um, uh, might be better than, um, uh, than the win rate suggests. So uh, if you want to, you know, put yourself ahead of the curve in terms of uh, what's going to be the hotness in two weeks. My speculation would be that there is money in the banana stand and there is potential for a higher win rate in a black green. Yes, Mike Gurney, a blue red is just uh, hmm, sad. So um, just a brief picture of the best cards in the format. Um, so I start with the bombs and there's definitely two bombs that are just like mental. Uh, one might even say degenerate, risking uh, ostracism from uh, Twitteratos. 
Um, that's the hourglass coven, the three three that brings two two twos that become three threes and whatever it does it it does a lot. Um, so yeah, uh, an insane card for six mana. Uh, there is the Lazel uh, Githyanki Warrior, the uh, two four double striker for four that specializes for one and becomes this unstoppable force. Uh, both of those cards have a seventy two point one percent win rate. That's uh, pretty sick for game and hand win rate. Then we have Prosper Tomebound, a black-red um, mythic, uh, 68.1. Uh, Lucamina, another specialized card, another mythic, 66.9% um, uh, win rate. Minsk and Boo, very appropriately having 66.6 uh, uh, game-in-hand win rate. Um, Clement, 66.1. Uh, no, Lazel is a rare, so I think they're the sec second rare on that list, I think. Uh, Wrathful Red Dragon, 65%. Chaos Balor, 64.8%. Horn of Valhalla, 64.5%. And Will Pactbound Duelist at 64.4%. Now, a very interesting part of that uh, data is that even though red is not the strongest color in general, uh, there's three red cards and two, two multicolor cards that contain red uh, on the list of those top 10. Ah, yes, of course. Hourglass Coven is also a rare. How could I have forgotten it? Because it should have been a mythic. I mean, who made it a rare? Why, why? I don't know. Uh, but thank you very much for the reminder, uh, ADNX3. Now, even though white is the best color in the format, it seems only two white, three white cards in, on this list, um, and then sort of five um, uh, red cards. There's nothing blue, none. Even the bombs failed it, but probably it's because when you have blue bombs, you also have to play blue support colors, um, and that doesn't bring up uh, the win rate so high. There are some slightly further down, so there are good uh, blue rares, um, but just not to the same level as the as the rest. Uh, our glass coven is really the only black mono black bomb. Prosper is um, the second one that has black, um, and there's also only Lucamina is the green card on that list, ready, and uh, Misk is a multicolor that has. Um, green in it, and yeah, white, Clement, and Lazel, both of them relatively cheap cards. So, um, oh no, and Horn of Valhalla, which can be either um, can be either cheap or expensive, depends how you play it, because it's an X spell. So these are the bombs of the format, basically, and two above, head and shoulder above, um, uh, above uh, above the rest. That's Hourglass Coven and Lazel. Yes, very good uh, comment from Zaki, uh, Zaki Kagan, um, who says that, uh, note that Tasha isn't on this list. And that is a bit of a surprise to me, because Tasha seems like a pretty busted card. Um, we can actually uh, go on analytics. Well, I mean, I could go on analytics and check where, where is Tasha on that, uh, on that list. Premier Draft, do, 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 do. Oh, Game and Hand win rate. Quite far that you have to go. So Tasha is like maybe 17th with a Game and Hand win rate of 63.3. Now, this is also like after this, after the first two and then several, this, this, um, these numbers flatten very, very highly. So if Tasha gets a, a boost of one, two percentage points, she will be on that list, but, but yeah. There are stronger blue cards than Tasha, stronger mono blue cards even on that list uh, than Tasha is. So um, uh, yeah, that's something uh, interesting. But <laughs> weirdly enough, there's also um, uh, uncommons that are stronger than Tasha. Actually, 
Cyan Evokers uh, are a blue card that have a higher win rate than Tasha. Uh, although it is sort of a, a blue-red card if you think about it. Okay, now let's move to the uncommons. Um, and here we have um, a bunch of white cards already and a bunch of black cards uh, and one green and red card peppered in. So in terms of best uncommons, and I think also in terms of best commons, white and um, white and black are, are head and shoulder above the rest. And that's probably the secret of the, why those the decks containing those colors are so good. So uh, the best uncommon is Rasad, Monk of Saloon. And very close behind, there is Sea Tower Imprisonment at 64.2 and 63.8% win rate. Um, and when I looked at each archetype, I saw that these cards just swap. They all, Rasad is the best uh, uncommon and uh, Sea Tower is second, or Sea Tower is the first in this archetype and Rasad is second. Like these cards are really, really uh, better than anything else. And it's a bit surprising to me in terms of Rasad and also Sea Tower Imprisonment. I thought that these cards can be blown um, out quite easily in this format and that they will be strong, but maybe not as strong as I thought. And I was very wrong about that. It seems like even though they are fragile, these cards can still post good numbers. And I played against Rasad and was just always backbreaking somehow. Um, because Rasad very quickly goes from a guy that you have to kill into a guy that you shouldn't kill um, when it specializes. Now, these cards, I would expect that their win rate is going to go slightly down as the time progresses because people will learn to play better. People will learn how powerful they are and they will also prepare better for those cards in their decks. So um, hopefully um, their win rate will drop slightly because, you know, when you think Rasad is just like percentage points uh, out of top 10 of the best cards in the format, um, now that's, uh, that, that's, that's, that's pretty strong for an uncommon. And then we have like little chasm uh, of two percentage points. And we have a bunch of cards at around 61, 62, 60% win rate. And Sculpt Merchant, our old friend, uh, you were confronted by the robbers. Um, uh, the four mana uh, make three one ones or top three creature, is it? Um, uh, Charm, uh, which has really credible 61.3% uh, win rate. Then we have Cast Down, um, a reprint from Dominaria, a removal spell for two mana. <coughs> another, another thing that I was speculated to be not so great in this format as, you know, 62.5% of the rare creatures are legendary and 40% of uncommons are legendary. So I thought mm, it doesn't remove that much on higher rarities, but it turns out just killing Linorm is uh, enough to be a good card for two mana. 61% um, we have Viconia, the best of the, um, well, this, the second best of the uncommon specialized cards. Uh, here we have the only green inclusion on the list at roughly 61%. There's Draconic Muralist, the 4-3 that um, when it dies brings you um, uh, uh, a dragon from uh, um, uh, a dragon from your deck. Uh, definitely the best red uh, uncommon in Mephit's Enthusiasm, the two mana deal four, and if, if it deals more damage than the toughness of the creature, you get a boon with the next creature you play enters with plus X plus O. Black Dragon, the perfect top end for those ramp decks with black um, uh, at 60.7. And um, uh, last, slightly lower than the rest, is a Borskir Tollkeeper, the 3 1 for 2 mana that you look at the creatures of your <coughs> opponent, and one of them will you can choose to enter tap 
which I guess is like super great when you want to play a super aggressive hand and force your opponent to have this one tapped creature enter and do nothing for a turn, um, uh, allowing you to gain tempo basically from it. Um, so these are the uncommons. And in terms of commons, we have, well, almost the same, but this time we have five white cards and three black cards, no red and two green. And top four commons all are white. Blessed Hippogriff at 62.4 is higher than everything else. Then close behind, we have Priest of Ancient Lord and Patriarch's Humiliation. So the 2-1 gain a life draw card, not flying. Uh, that's enough to be a second best common in the set, 61.7%. Um, Patriarch's Humiliation, 61.6% uh, win rate, uh, the one mana removal for the number of creature control. And number four is a bit surprising, I think, for uh, some. Uh, for some, not so surprising. It's the Steadfast Unicorn, the one mana, one, two, and for four, it can give plus one, plus one, and vigilance to your team. Uh, really powerful card, and in some decks, really uh, annoying and uh, probably a must kill, which is a great thing you want to have from your uh, uh, from your one drop. Um, then we have the first non-white card, Guildsworn Prowler, the two-one Death Toucher at 60.7 as well, but slightly lower than Steadfast Unicorn. <coughs> then we have the first of the green cards, Underseller Myconid, the three mana ramp creature that gives any color of the mana and makes one once when it enters the battlefield and dies. Then second black card in Shagavan, uh, Shambling Gust. Uh, what doesn't this creature do? Ramps you, kills something, brilliant. I think very important if you want to play decks that want to go long because having Shambling Gust as your one drop is so helpful in so many games because you can basically block very powerful attacks just by having Shambling Gust standing there and defending. Uh, Grim Bounty 60.1, a uh, Flaming Dust Fist Dust Guard, the 3 1 that gives you a boon, and next creature enters with a plus one plus one counter. Now, notice that um, nine of those commons are having higher game and hand win rate than, uh, uh, than the 10th best uncommon. When you think about it, outside of the Rasad and Sea Tower imprisonment, uh, commons have the same game and hand win rate as the top uncommons. Um, so, this is suggesting to me that the format is really, really, really uh, uh, tilted uh, on, on, on powerful commons. Uh, even though there are bombs, still the fact that um, top 10 commons are having the same win rate basically as the top 10 uncommons is, is very telling. And number 10 on the list is uh, Dreadlinor. <coughs> then again, this sort of uh, points you to, uh, uh, point you towards um, uh, strategy for green and top two commons of it are underseller uh, myconid uh, that ramps you and dread linworm that is probably the best reward for ramping uh, so yeah you can draw some picture out of that already okay so now i'm going to do this for all 10 archetypes um, um, where we basically are going to look at commons where we're going to look at the best common something i call a hidden gem and hidden gem is a card that has a Decent win rate, but also uh, a high alsa. So it means you will see quite a lot of them in your um, draft. And a trap, which is a card that has low alsa, but a very low win rate as well. So you have to pick it highly and then doesn't give you rewards. Uh, and then we do the same with um, uncommons. Um, plus, we were going to look at the win rate of the signpost <coughs> uncommon. <coughs> and um, and then we, um, I actually looked at the 17 lands and I looked at example lists from people from diamond and higher of trophy decks in each color combination. We can look through them and then see what's cooking in there. Um, so the best 
common in white blue is Flaming Fist Dust Guard. And it's a bit surprising. It has slightly lower number of games played um, than uh, other two drops, but it performs very well. I think that you know combining it with playing maybe like a two one flyer that is a free one uh, flyer is a pretty decent uh, play pattern for this deck because then you can properly race. And this one is still presenting some kind of a threat uh, for the opponent. Um, so highest win rate at around 60%, which is not too shabby at all. Um, the hidden gem I selected is under simplified the counter spell that also gives the creature that it countered if it goes in uh, permanent minus two minus O. It, it basically can be a two drop in your deck if you don't have um, that many. Um, when you counter their two drops, so it's like playing your own. Um, and later in the game, it can either counter something big, it can counter any spell, not only a creature one, uh, something worth uh, remembering. Uh, but also if they play like a late game uh, two drop that will be annoying, you can just uh, nullify it basically by making it a, a minus two minus O permanently. And this one has um, around 57% win rate, so lower than Flaming Fist Dust card, but um, the card is very available uh, in the draft, so you can get quite a lot of them. <clears throat> Um, Minimus Containment is the biggest trap for that archetype, in my opinion. The card has a high alsa, uh, low alsa, so uh, alsa of around four, um, compared to Undersimplify, which is probably six or seven. Uh, I would have to check. I didn't remember it by heart. <coughs> so you have to really prioritize picking those. But it only delivers at 50.6% um, win rate. And it's terrible. Uh, it's like... Every time someone plays it against me, I have a use for that treasure, either to ramp me to something big, or uh, last time I, someone played it against me, I sacrificed my treasure to Baba Lissaga and uh, drained them for free Drew three cards thanks to that. Otherwise, I didn't have any uh, artifact that I could do. Um, so yeah, definitely a trap. And I think that it will appear in in, in a couple of other uh, in couple of other archetypes as a trap card as well. In terms of uh, uncommons, um, signpost uncommon. <coughs> <clears throat> OG, the Exquisite Blade, has a pretty good win rate of 59%. So usually when the signpost uncommon is high, it signifies that the theme of the deck is well supported, but that's not the case in here. Uh, so OG is just a good card on its own. It does a bit of blinking and you can use it, by the way, um, without actually planning to use it too much, but it will just happen naturally, you know. You play OG and then you can uh, later in the game, you drew a young uh, blue dragon. You can basically cast the draw spell, um, cast the dragon and uh, blink OG and then scry two and then gain two life, which is great. Um, so the theme of the blue white is supposed to be blink and all the blink cards are doing terribly. Um, um, so um, I guess that uh, OG is good despite the theme not being well supported. The archetype star is uh, Rasat, uh, Monk of Saloon. But if you notice, it has a lower win rate than Flaming Fist Dust Card, which is a bit weird. <coughs> but 59.6% win rate, that card is going to appear quite a lot of time. And if it doesn't, then probably it's the second best uncommon in the white uh, color combination. Uh, hidden gem I found is Ray of Frost. Unlike lots of other um, uh, um, charm sleeps and uh, other things like that, um, Ray of Frost has pretty decent numbers and uh, it's taken quite late. So um, uh, probably worth uh, looking at the card a couple of times. The biggest trap, and that tells you something about the, uh, uh, the theme of the deck, is Pegasus Guardian. Um, this is a six mana 3-3. Three, three. Um, 
And it has an adventure uh, that lets you blink something. And also at the beginning of the end step, if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn, create a one white Pegasus creature token with flying. Now this card is really high, um, low ALSA, so it's picked quite highly by the community, but it only has 50.2% win rate in uh, blue-white. And this is weird because this card has a really impressive win rate in every single other blue uh, archetype. It's bad exclusively in white-blue. I still didn't figure out why, but um, um, but in other uh, in other archetypes, it has a win rate of around 60%. So, uh, you know, very weird. Um, okay. And here is the example of the deck I found um, that trophied recently uh, and, and, and was um, uh, blue-white. You can see a couple of Patriarchs, Humiliation, Steadfast Unicorn, a bunch of free ones uh, like Borskir, Tollkeeper, and Flaming Fist Duskguard. Two undersimplifies to help you deal with the early game. A <coughs> couple of Soul Knife Spies, which um, are actually performing not terribly in this archetype. Um, uh, lizard Fork Librarians, uh, so basically the uh, Imperial Oath at home uh, from this format. There is a Rasad, there is even weirdly Minimal's Containment Charmed Sleep uh, combination here, so uh, why not? You hear something on watch which can be used as a removal, but also can be used as a pump your team thing uh, if it's a late game. And then we have a bunch of uh, five dropping flyers, two young blue dragons and one juvenile mist dragon. Um, two Aircult Elementals, so the six mana, two five flyers uh, that bounce something, and a big top end uh, in uh, Sword Coast Serpent, this seven mana, six six, that also works as a tempo kind of trick uh, in the early game when it can bounce something. Uh, so quite a sweet deck and a trophy, and um, probably this is something you want to look at. Uh, a bit of value, a bit of tempo, a bit of disruption, and, um, uh, and, and some top end to uh, finish the game, so, uh, you know, that kind of stuff you want to put in your white-blue decks. Um, White-black. Uh, in terms of uh, the archetype star, Priest of Ancient Lore is uh, head and shoulders above everything else. Win rate in that archetype is 65.2, which is in insanely high when you think about it. <coughs> um, doesn't need flying. It's, it's good without flying. Just drawing a card and gaining life is just brilliant. Now, Hidden Gem, and it's not very well hidden because it's the second most winningest card in this archetype, is the Steadfast Unicorn at 63.7. But this card still goes late. And, um, and um, uh, yeah, well, basically, don't sleep on this card. I think it's uh, pretty good. Mike Gurney writes that um, hard to believe Blue-White is supposed to be Blink, but the top card wasn't the Priest. Well, all the Blink spells in that deck are... Uh, doing rubbish, like the blue instant that draws a card and blinks something is just uh, has a terrible win rate in this in, in this card. I think that the real blink deck is uh, actually green-white. Uh, you will see some examples of that later. And the biggest trap I found was the Flaming Fist Officer. Now, this card is not drafted as highly as um, as um, as Minimus Containment was, uh, so it's slightly less prioritized, but still, people seem to love it. Uh, and um, um, and um, and they shouldn't be because the card has a really pathetic win rate for that uh, for that color combination. <coughs> Fifty-three percent is just not you know ten percentage points lower than the Pegasus uh, than the Unicorn. So um, yeah, you don't want to be uh, playing that card at all. Even though allegedly White Black Steam is uh, creatures leaving the battlefield, that's definitely not what this deck wants to be doing. It wants to be value attrition, and that clearly is visible from the Priest of Ancient Lore being the top common. When we go to the um, uncommons, the signposts, Mintara, uh, the Absolute, 
uh, has a 61.8% win rate, which is decent. <coughs> it's not up there with the top uh, uncommon, but um, it's not far actually. Top uncommon is the Sea Tower Imprisonment, AKA Sleep with Two Soldiers. Um, with 66.9% win rate, uh, this card is great. And uh, Rasad is uh, second, I think, in this color combination. So uh, these two swapped uh, compared, to, compared to the previous one. Um, the hidden gem I found was uh, Monk of the Open Hand. This card was sort of medium in AFR, but it seems to be pretty decent in, in here. And in white-black, especially because you have so much value uh, in, in your deck. Um, it uh, has a solid win rate and it goes quite late. So uh, you can get those uh, monks of the open hand quite late. And I did play against some decks. And when you just prioritize removal on some other creatures and uh, while you do that, monk slowly grows and becomes a problem. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, there's not too much bounce. There is not of this puts a creature on top of your library effects. And that I think makes monk uh, a, a pretty decent card. <clears throat> Uh, bird person. So the white three three four drop, um, uh, which blinks a creature, isn't performing well. Uh, even the blue white archetype. I wouldn't say even. It's just that, like blue white really doesn't want to be doing the blink stuff uh, if it wants to win. So um, let's look at blue white commons. Um, Will we find it? Uh, it is. <clears throat> I'm scrolling and I didn't find it yet. Icewind Stalwart and Blair, both of them at the uh, impressive game in hand win rate of 50.9 and 50.8. Um, uh, so no, both of these cards do pretty badly in uh, blue-white. Um, uh, let's look uh, somewhere else. Um, yeah, in, in white-green, Icewind Stalwart has 57.8% win rate. So the white 334 drop is probably a much better white green card than it is a um, 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 white blue card. And I think blinking is much better in white green than it is in uh, white blue. And the, the theme that the wizard set is basically a sort of a trap. Uh, a trap in this archetype, on the other hand, is the bronze walrus. <clears throat> a card that has a really good win rate in other color combinations, but in white black, it's pretty bad. And I think that the main reason for that is that there is nothing to ramp into uh, for five mana that is you know, reasonable. So uh, a good card in other um, archetypes, just don't prioritize it in your white-black uh, decks, unless you have some kind of a splash maybe, which you probably should really consider if you want that splash. It still has a 56% win rate, don't get me wrong, but white-black has a very high win rate, so uh, that's it. And here is an example of a trophy deck. Uh, now let's go back to the uh, white-blue. White-blue had a sort of like a broad mana curve in general. Um, uh, there is um, there is a bunch of two drops and three drops and and then uh, like a lot of cards with the higher um, um, with the higher mana costs. Uh, when we look at the uh, the white black uh, trophy deck list, and you know we, we might look at some other things um, uh, uh, more scrutinously uh, in terms of how the mana curve looks like in a particular deck. But we have a bunch of three drops. Like this deck really blossomed with those three drops that you know stole the game. Like two priests of ancient lore, Rasad, two vampire spawns, uh, two sewer plagues. Uh, weirdly, bronze walrus. In this case, it didn't stop them from anything. But as you can see, the bronze walrus, they play it on turn three and what? They maybe ramp to double spelling at turn four or five uh, to play two other two drops, but it's not like, super good in this. Uh, there's a couple of four drops. There's the green bounty, fraying lines, um, which is also a bit of a weird of a card. Uh, two blessed hippogriffs. And then there's a couple of the top ends. So um, 
Yeah, maybe ramping to ascend, but probably if you are ramping to ascend, the bronze walrus is dead already. Mm. Okay, white red. This is our top um, uh, top deck. Um, archetype star, blessed hippogriff, sixty-three point one percent win rate. Quite high. Card is really good. Like both blessed hippogriff and um, um, and the one black mana combat trick that gives indestructible. In my opinion, are amazing cards to play with particular type of uh, double team. Like the four mana double team uh, card that when it attacks, it taps something out. Um, the problem with it is that you have to attack to get your double team. Now, <clears throat> usually a turn after you played your double uh, team creature, you will have one more mana than on the uh, uh, than on the previous turn. Um, so so um, if you played your four drop that taps the creature when it attacks, they might have another blocker for it ready, lined up. If you manage to play your land, you can use the Tears Blessing, so the, the adventure part of the Blessed Hippogriff, protect your double team creature, make it survive the combat, maybe even kill the um, uh, opposing creature and uh, your survives, and play the second copy of it. And it will work with every uh, double team creature. So that's like a big advantage of the Blessed Hippogriff that by curving, naturally, you will have one more mana on the turn after you play the, the double creature. And if you manage to attack with it, you make it survive and uh, stuff like that. The hidden gem I found here is the uh, Iron Golem. <coughs> it's the second highest winning uh, rate card in, um, in the color combination, in the best color combination, uh, with 62.7%. And I think that majority of Iron Golem's um, uh, hype is from playing it in the white-red decks. And I think that things like Blessed Hippogriff have a lot to do in this, um, um, uh, in this situation. It also has something to do with you're so aggressive that you're going to be rarely attacked back. So um, Iron Golem uh, might not have to be doing the blocking duty, which is usually annoying for it. And when you attack, you can plan your tricks around it. But another card that I think is quite important for it being played is the uh, one mana Kobold that gives creatures haste. Uh, because uh, slamming it down as a four drop that instantly attacks is a very different story from um, um, uh, uh, from uh, from not doing it. Um, Ta Jordan says that this is a small sample size, but so uh, let's ignore Ta Jordan and let's move to Young Red Dragon, which uh, is a trap. Oh, you meant the Young uh, Young Dragon uh, that is a trap. So Ta Jordan is a famously uh, famous proponent of Young Red Dragon, has done it on two podcasts separately. Uh, so. Um, I selected this card with uh, with uh, the Jordan in mind. The card has a very low win rate, 54.8% uh, in white-red that has an average win rate of over 60. Um, and it's picked reasonably highly, actually. So people like their young red dragons. But at least in white-red, the card just doesn't, just does, that doesn't do it. At least um, uh, the average... Uh, the average arena user does not know how to use them. Now, if the Jordan figures out how to make trophies with young red dragons, kudos. And I wouldn't be surprised because uh, uh, Benji is an excellent uh, player, but I'm pretty sure that uh, as the format matures, uh, his strategy of uh, trophying with uh, uh, young red dragons in his pool would be to leave them in the sideboard, basically. <clears throat> okay, so these are the commons. Uncommons, um, uh, the signpost uncommon has 59.9% win rate, which is slightly below the average, which means it's decent, but um, but not amazing. Um, so yeah, you should, still, you should still play it, but uh, you shouldn't go overboard with uh, prioritizing it. 
again, the uh, C tower imprisonment and Rasad swapped here. So Rasad is the top archetype and C tower imprisonment is the number two here. Um, card is busted as we discussed. Uh, hidden gem I selected is you're confronted by the robbers. Um, it has a decent 61% win rate. Um, uh, the card is going slightly later. I think the people are low on it for some reason, even though the numbers it's posting are quite high. I think I've seen today um, uh, Ethan from Lords of Limited not picking it because um, he said that the card is not fulfilling his um, what he was hoping for it to be, but um, it seems to have uh, decent numbers. I think both 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 of the uh, modes can be used uh, quite successfully. Actually, clearly, some people figured out how to use them. Uh, Mike Gurney, even you, if you were not impressed by it. That's fine. It may be that your plans are not uh, well aligned with it, but clearly some people figure out the plans that give it a pretty decent uh, win rate. And as I said, somehow people are not on that card, so you can still draft it relatively late. And I'm talking, you know, like pick five or something, which is decent to get a card with 61% win rate as pick five. The trap is an uncommon un 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 level is a Dragonborn emulator. It's funny because I've been doing this presentation today. Later, I went to Twitter to uh, tweet about uh, me doing the seminar, and I saw a tweet from yesterday from uh, from Cortocals, where he said exactly about the uh, this and um, uh, and minimus containers as being two biggest traps in the format. And literally, data confirms that. So um, I'm, I'm I'm sure that Alex uh, Alex is quite savvy with data usage now, so he used it. Uh, but I'm glad that um, uh, uh, that he spoiled the contents of my seminar. Uh, but yeah. Dragonborn Emulator is quite highly picked by the community. It has a low win rate, just avoid it. I don't think it does just enough for um, uh, for four mana card. You know, the boon that is so good on the, um, on the Flaming Fist Dust Guard with plus one plus oh when you play it on turn two is not exactly the same on turn seven when you uh, when your Dragonborn Emulator um, uh, gets killed by something. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind that those boons are much better when they are being played early. <clears throat> Zach Kagan says that Roberts is unbeatable in racing scenarios, and I think that you know, again, if you play white red on white red, you can you can just swing the game very very proficiently with that card in so many ways. Yeah, two mana two four is bad. That's what I'm saying. We've had some really good four mana two fours, like in M20 or M21. There was this elemental guy that grew uh, for each elemental. That was a good two four or four mana. Anyway. Here is the trophy deck that I found in white red, and I picked the first one that I found. I um, there were so many of white red. If I would go through them, I might have curated it better. But I just picked the first one. And uh, what's striking here is the the almost uh, point mana curve of thirteen two drops of different um, of different types. As five hobgoblin captains, two um, uh, genasi rubble rousers, um, the, the signpost uncommon, two soldiers of the watch, steadfast pally. Um, uh, Mephit's Enthusiasm, which is a hell of a card, and I think in this deck particularly good. Um, and then you have like some uh, one mana removal slot with um, uh, three Patriarchs Humiliation. I think that you know if you start like turn two Hobgoblin Captain, turn uh, three Hobgoblin Captain, and kill your blocker, attack for three, and then you have the first Strikers. This deck could do a lot. Then you have a couple of the uh, three drops, uh, nothing impressive here. I think that Ambergris is pretty good. Um, uh, Fire Beetles and Improvised Weaponry are a bit um, uh, underperformers in the format. And then uh, on top end, you have the Champions of Terror as a four drop and the good gut uh, fanatical uh, uh, priestess. 
uh, at six mana. So, um, you know, very, very little top end. This deck basically operated on, let's drop two drops, kill quickly and hope that we win. <clears throat> okay. Uh, white green, best commons. Top common, underseller Myconid. 62.7% um, win rate also shows you that you might actually want to less focus on uh, the life gaining synergies and get them sort of by the way, but maybe more on ramping into big things. Especially that I think that the second things were uh, uh, maybe uh, Hill Giant Herdgorger and uh, uh, Linorm are there in the top commons. So I think that you want to ramp, drop big things and maybe have this sort of like a fake aggro plan in the beginning when you just put a couple of free ones on the board and and, and, and start putting pressure. Um, and once the opponent stabilizes, just start dropping chunk and that's how you win. Um, hidden gem at 60.9% win rate, but um, smallish sample size, so be wary about it. <coughs> As you hear something on watch, the plus one, plus one to all creature or um, five damage to target attacking creature uh, for two mana, so the sort of dual mode uh, on that card. The biggest trap is Minimus Containment, 53.1% win rate, uh, and again, also of round four. So uh, highly appreciated card that doesn't deliver. Um, signpost and common, Trelasara has 57% win rate, which is not amazing. Uh, it's like middling. Don't prioritize the card uh, unless you know, uh, un un unless you have some uh, really tuned deck and you really think that it will be better. But like first picking it is probably not a very good option. Um, Prosperous Innkeeper is the archetype star, 63.4% uh, win rate, uh, so actually higher than the uh, mic on it, already impressive. And this points me to, first of all, Innkeeper ramps, but also allows you to win races um, even if you, um, even if you uh, um, start on the back foot, uh, it gains you just enough life to sort of keep you in the game, and then you can start dropping the chunk and, uh, and winning. Um, Hidden gem is again, you're confronted by the robbers at 61.6% win rate. And um, that's a pretty good win rate for that archetype. And the card is underpicked uh, and it works very well here. I think that especially you hear something on watch uh, is a hidden gem at um, um, at common and combined with you're confronted by the robbers, um, the three, three, one ones to become two twos can become a, a, a real threat. And especially that in this time, you might have six mana so you can activate the pony, play this one, and all of a sudden you uh, make a mini overrun, basically. Oh yeah, and the mic on it also with Innkeeper is great. Uh, and the mic on it with uh, you hear something on watch is also great because it makes things bigger. And I'm pretty sure that um, the unicorn is really good in that uh, archetype as well. The biggest trap I found was Emerald Dragon, six mana, four, four flying trampler. I think it just doesn't do enough. You don't plan to have an evasive um, um, game plan. So um, the 4 for flyer is just a one-off. Uh, it won't do enough damage. Uh, and for six mana, I'd probably rather play a 7-6 creature that gains you three life than the 4 for flying trample. The win rate is 53%, pretty low, while the card is highly prioritized by the, by the users. And here we have the trophy. And this is the one that I by accident uh, discovered, the um, white-green blink. Uh, you can see that it's a balanced um, uh, balanced mana curve uh, with two really strong bombs at the top end of the curve with Suna's Intervention and an Ancient Gold Dragon. It has like two Owlbears, Devouted Paladin, three Icewind Stalwarts, so the, the three threes that blink, three Priests of Ancient Lore, uh, Underseller Myconid is another creature that you might want to uh, blink to make another 1-1. One, one. 
Uh, Rasad, you might want to blink to upgrade the creature. It's uh, tormenting at the moment if it's not specialized yet. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Flaming Fist does guard. You can uh, also blink that to uh, to get the boon again. So uh, plenty of uh, things that you can um, that you can uh, you know profitably um, uh, blink. Especially you know like the owl bears, or 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 even if you like feel that you're wide enough, you can do the devoted paladin blink and and give your creatures plus one plus one in vigilance. So yeah, uh, a lot to do there. And notably, this deck has three like super powerful bombs in Horn of Valhalla, Ancient Gold Dragon, and Suna's Intervention. So uh, that might have helped in trophying, but it looks pretty solid in general. And you see, here we have the situation when we have uh, two Underseller Myconids um, uh, into all Albers, and that's like a really solid curve when you play turn three Myconid, turn four Albur, and then uh, you draw more gas and you can keep on putting pressure. Um, blue, black, commons. Well, the archetype star is Grim Bounty at 58.5%, but keep in mind, that's not a super high win rate, like 63 in the white red, um, 65 in the white black as a top common. Uh, even um, even blue white had around 60% win rate top common, and this one is only 58.5. But Grim Bounty is a solid card, we know it, uh, uh, at least you should know it. Um, the hidden gem I found here was uh, actually Soul Knife Spy, another card from AFR, and it has decent numbers. I think it's probably better in here than it was in the previous format. I think that a bunch of those uh, minus two minus O tricks make it um, uh, so much better because Soul Knife Spy it, it warrants being blocked. So if it wants to be blocked, you can um, uh, blow up opponents by those minus two minus O tricks quite efficiently because. Uh, you can, for instance, if they if they block a Soul Knife Spy on a 2-2, two, two, you can give permanent minus 2 to one thing and then temporary minus 2 minus 0 to the thing that blocked it and it kills it because 3 uh, power is probably enough to kill something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be attacking and stuff like that. So um, Soul Knife Spy has solid numbers and actually people are uh, quite low on it. Blue-black can win, but it doesn't win much. But I think that there might be some builds that are, you know, okay. And if you want to learn how to play blue-black, I think uh, Ethan right now is on the on the burner of uh, forcing blue in, in drafts and, and actually having decent results. So uh, maybe that's where you should look. The big trap I found uh, in this color combination is playing Prophetic Prism. It has a very low win rate of 48.7 and it uh, doesn't seem to be doing enough. So uh, probably don't play it. That's my guess. You probably don't want to splash it. You you want to lean on that open blue if you are actually so inclined to play it. So yeah, that's the thing. In terms of the um, uncommons, Cridal has a serviceable fifty-seven point nine percent win rate. So you know at the level of the top common in the uh, in the archetype. So not bad, but it's not best um, uncommon. The best one is Black Dragon with sixty-two point two. So I think that that's what you want to do in this deck. You want to survive till the late game and then start dropping things like Black Dragon uh, in the sort of attritiony way. Uh, the hidden gem I selected was uh, Grave Choice. I think that especially on the um, especially on the play, you can blow out uh, some kind of a white uh, red deck quite proficiently if they don't play a one drop, play a two drop with double team. You play Grave Choice and you gain their uh, double team creature, you can race them quite efficiently using that. It's like a big big swing and card advantage. 
the trap and hidden, yeah, the grave choice is around 60.8% win rate. So really solid. I think it's the second best uncommon in the uh, in the archetype. The trap I found was Bone Color Cleric, uh, win rate of 52.2. I was speculating that maybe, you know, blue, black can have some kind of loot reanimate theme. But I just think that there is just not enough good reanimation targets in the archetype uh, colors that it will be, um, you know, um, that will be um, good enough to, to play. So uh, probably it just doesn't, um, it, it just like, uh, it doesn't work. I think that there are homes for bone color cleric, but it's not blue, black. And here is the uh, trophy deck I selected. And it's a weird one because, um, well, we have a Shambling Gust, that's fine. Three undersimplifies as two drops, and then uh, Viconia and Gillsworth Plower, so like really great two drops uh, and three counter spells that are early. Uh, then there's a bunch of Charmed Sleeps, and I always say Charmed Sleep is rubbish, but I think that Charmed Sleeps in multiples can become good all of a sudden, because you can deal with one of them, you rarely can deal with four of them. So um, uh, they will continue working the more of them you you chunk. I think that I learned that lesson when someone played uh, five locked in grave against me in some kind of midnight hunt. Was it midnight hunt or crimson bow? One of the two uh, drafts. And I said, oh, well, when there's five of them, they're really good. It's just one that is a problem. Um, they also have a bronze walrus uh, to ramp into five. And yes, there is a good reason for ramping into five. It has four young blue dragons, uh, Rhymeshire Frost Giant at five mana as well, and Juvenile Mist Dragon at five. And then it has even higher top end in uh, the artifact six mana four four dragon and with flying, and the Sword Coast Serpent, the seven mana six six. That also can be an early interaction to make you survive till the late game. So I think that this deck was basically counter this, counter this, counter this. Five drop, five drop, six drop, seven drop, and then hoping to win uh, like that because the the uh, undersimplify has a big advantage. If it counters the, the double team creature, it will never have a chance of attacking, so uh, it switches it off. And then charm sleep can also switch off uh, switch off things uh, before they become a problem. So that deck trophied in diamond, I think, if I'm not sure, or maybe in mythic. Then interestingly, it also has Ambitions Cost, the 4-mana draw 3, and, and Draconic Lore, the 4-mana in this deck, most likely 4-mana draw 3, um, uh, because it requires Dragon to have a discount. So um, um, so a bunch of really draw a lot of card spells with four young dragons, that's a pretty much lot of uh, draw power. And I think that this will ensure that they can play those later drops, the five, six drops, even in best of one um, without a problem uh, on curve. And that's very important. There's also deadly dispute worth noting, uh, even though there's not so many creatures that you want to sacrifice in this deck. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it works. Um, but it trophied, so clearly it did work in this particular case. Now, blue-red, <coughs> what a color. Archetype star with a whopping 54.9% win rate, Janazi Rabble Rouser. I mean, 54.9 is nothing. Uh, Hidden Gem, 51.9% win rate, uh, Air Cult Elemental, cracking that 50% like it's nothing for them. Um, from that already, you can see that uh, this deck is just having a very low win rate, and uh, you should probably only play it when you really have some sort of a bomb that requires to be exactly blue and red, and that's the thing that summons lightning bolt, basically. Um, then the trap of the format, I mean, basically the trap of the archetype is playing the archetype, but 
even bigger trap than that is Pilgrim's Eye, which has good numbers everywhere else, but um, in this particular archetype, only 45% win rate. You don't want to be getting your land drops in this. Probably you want to play some kind of a super aggro with uh, maybe tempo. And I think that maybe in the future, people will stop thinking about playing blue-red dragons and start thinking, I want to play all the cheap, uh, aggressive red creatures, and I want to play all the blue cards that give minus two, minus O. Oh, it might be actually a better archetype. Um, I would be quite happy to, you know, test it and waste one draft to try to uh, draft um, uh, draft this weirdness, but uh, I didn't have a chance of uh, seeing enough of the double team creatures for some reason in any of my drafts. And if I did, I probably would go white-red anyway. Um, in terms of uncommons, uh, Signpost Uncommon has a splendid win rate of 49.6%, Lausanne Dragon's Legacy. Two toughness is just not, not good enough, it seems. Um, also, you probably are dead once you play it because the, the attack will kill you. What it does work in the uh, archetype is Mephit's Enthusiasm, 58.3%, judging how low the win rate of the archetype is, is pretty decent. Hidden Gem, I didn't find a Hidden Gem, long story short. I didn't find a card that is picked low but has an, you know, at least mildly impressive win rate. I didn't want to put something that has like 50% win rate because what kind of a gem is this to, to give 50% game and hand win rate? The trap is uh, Dragonborn Emulator again, um, uh, another archetype where this card does not perform well at all. Uh, I did find a trophy deck. It took me a long time, but I did find a trophy deck. And this one actually is operating on the Dragon Synergy, but it and it does contain Young Red Dragon to Jordan. Um, so um, it's a weird deck that has a mana block rather than a mana curve. It also splashes white for uh, laser, Lazel, um, or is it Lazel? I don't know how to pronounce it, but okay, um, it doesn't matter. The 2 4 double striking specialized white bomb. Uh, so it has the best card in the format, uh, and uh, not the color that it's playing, but it does have um, uh, Rubble Rousers, uh, Karlach, which seems to be also a pretty good aggressive creature, two Reckless Barbarians, um, Dragonfire under Simplify, you come to a river uh, as a two drop sort of um, um, thing. Now, the smartness of this deck, and um, I mean, kudos to the person that um, uh, that uh, built it, three clever conjurers, uh, which ramped the deck from three to five quite reliably, I think. And ramping it from three to five is paramount for the deck's performance because it has seven five drops. It has two of the uh, signposts and common dragons, three young blue dragons, wrathful red dragon, another bomb, and a Juvenile Mist Dragon, which is a pretty strong card on its own right. So um, playing Conjurer on three almost guarantees that if you have a fourth land drop, you will be able to play one of those five drops early. So if you play Lozen on turn four and continue with the Young Blue Dragon, you can take out uh, this game quite efficiently. And, you know, Clever Conjurer, um, at least for the first turn, can maybe block something as well or prevent uh, them from attacking. It also has Tyan Evokers, which is the biggest bomb in, uh, in blue. Uh, and it has red. So, um, you know, this deck got there on having three solid bombs, a very interesting solution. Also, you know, Reckless Barbarians allow you to ramp quite quickly into five drops. So uh, this is something to keep in mind. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that um, I can say lots of bad things about blue-red um, decks in general, but I think that 
this uh, trophy deck that I found here is a bit of a gem. Um, it's it's very smart, and uh, I, I I absolutely love how the person that drafted it uh, built it. But this is it. It still has three massive bombs um, to trophy, so you can't count on that kind of situation happening in every draft. And it's very hard to get on this blue red. So God no, Mike. It's definitely not my deck. Not even close. I have something against Clever Conjurer for some reason. I would probably never play it, and maybe now I will if I saw if, if when I saw this technology. Uh, I didn't put any of my decks in in here because it would be. I had a very very ugly looking trophy decks. They trophied, but uh, nothing interesting about them. Uh, one of my trophy decks didn't even make it on playables, and I played things like Manticore. So yeah. Um, right, blue green. Archetype Star, Heal Giant, Head Gorger, 60.6% win rate. 60.6% win rate for this deck is really high because, uh, well, it has a lower uh, win rates than uh, the other ones. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bard Color decks or the Selesnya decks. Um, so 60.6 is very serviceable for it, especially at the common level. And uh, Gorgeous George is uh, really shining in here. And this also, like, sort of points you towards ramp. And I think that uh, Mike on it is really close um, uh, to being the top common there. So uh, again, suggesting that you want to ramp. Uh, the hidden gem I found, and it is, I think, second or third common in general in this archetype with slightly lower, um, um, with slightly lower um, sample size because those cards are usually not universally played in the beginning. So it also might have been played by better players who are trying things and uh, not uh, getting fixed on the first week meta game. Uh, is Arcane Archery, the three mana instant creature gets a plus three, plus three, and gains reach and trample until end of turn. And you get a boon whenever you cast your next creature spell, it gets <coughs> plus one, plus one counter and trample counter and reach counter on it. So I guess that. You know, a bit later in the game, you're going to be attacked. You can play this Arcane Archery on something. Next turn, imagine you play uh, Hill Giant Headgorger. It becomes an 8-7 eight, uh, eight, with um, uh, Trample. And that improves that particular card immensely. So I think that Arcane Archery can be used as this sort of like semi-trick, semi-help um, uh, um, semi for the deck. Also, you know... Uh, uh, playing it on your attacking hill giant headgorger when it's a seven six and making it a, a ten nine uh, with trample is uh, can be also quite impressive. Uh, the trap for this particular archetype seems charm sleep, uh, only fifty point seven win rate, uh, and card is still picked quite highly, so uh, it just doesn't seem to work. I think that your deck tries to play a bit too long, and that charm sleep. The longer the game lasts, uh, the more of a liability charm sleep becomes because. There is plenty of incidental enchantment removal that can um, uh, that can uh, uh, well basically free the creature that you thought was dealt with. Um, the uncommons, to my disappointment, Corlesa Scale Singer, great pun, um, only has fifty-two point five percent win rate, uh, so it's not impressive at all. I thought maybe that's what the deck wants—the one for that makes you survive, maybe cast some dragons. But probably the problem is not that uh, the one for for two mana is not good enough. Problem is that probably the dragons are not good enough uh, because you don't see any any dragons really. I mean, the only dragon you see is in current sleep, which is a trap and also not a dragon, but it has a dragon on the picture. Um, so probably because the green and blue dragons are just not strong enough, it it would rather rely on <coughs> ramping into other types of creature. The star of the archetype is Jahira, and probably this plays a role of better Corlesa because. 
two three is a big enough body for the beginning of the game to um, to block efficiently. Furthermore, very quickly it can become a three two uh, if you know you don't want to save it for some kind of artifact. Three four, uh, three, uh, sorry, three four, three four can block uh, all day long. Um, Sixty six point one is the super high win rate. Uh, so Jahira is really excelling in this uh, archetype. Um, hidden gem that I found was Lurking Roper. Notice that this is not an archetype where um, where you gain life a lot. Uh, so probably it's just a three mana <coughs> four or five wall, but it has a high win rate. So maybe a wall that can swing on occasions is, is exactly what the deck wants. Um, and the trap is Alora the Rogue Companion. 47.6% um, win rate is just bad, like 20 percentage points lower than Jahira. Um, for a card, this pick only slightly lower than Jahira is. So um, you have to sacrifice a high pick for a card that has atrocious win rate. It's probably just doesn't not not worth at all um, uh, to be played in this deck. Um, here I have some um, uh, trophy deck. <coughs> Again, very broad um, curve. This one also has a really good ramp from three to five. So it has Bronze Walrus, Clever Conjurer, and under, um, Underseller Mike on it uh, for three mana. And it uh, has Illithid Harvester, which obviously, I mean, this card probably needs to be ramped slightly more um, uh, smartly. Um, Juvenile Mist Dragon, two of them, and Young Blue Dragons, two of them. So you can basically ramp from, uh, from three to, uh, to five. Also with Young Dragons, you can play Young Dragon on two, Ramp guy on three, young dragon on uh, five. So, um, uh, so yeah. Uh, importantly, it has a splash for <coughs> Miriam, the dragon lord guy, uh, which is a great card. It also has, I'm not going to pronounce it, polar bear dude. Uh, uh, this is a four five four four. That's pretty good. And lizard folk librarians who are basically the uh, imperial of of the format. When you think about it, twelve power and toughness stats. In one card that scries, that's that's the same as Imperial Oath. It's just here you play it over two turns for eight mana rather than for six. Um, um, yeah, and the rest, a bunch of arcane archeries, for example, uh, to maybe win win some uh, uh, battles. Owlbear Shepherd is a sort of value accrue um, uh, engine. Plus, it's a pretty decent blocker as a one four four four. Um, if it will, you know, like block a couple of times, draw you two cards, you're perfectly happy with playing a card like that. And someone managed to trophy with that deck. But <coughs> so kudos on them. Um, Black Red. Okay. Top common, Grim Bounty, which is not that surprising. Grim Bounty was always good in this uh, deck. Um, it's probably slightly better uh, in this reincarnation than it was in the AFR. Um, hidden gem that I found is Earth Cult Elemental, and Earth Cult Elemental centric builds of uh, Black Red were my favorite builds in AFR. I preferred them than the Steel and Sack ones. I, then there's nothing uh, better than um, uh, playing Earth Cult Elemental on turn four and then rolling a natural twenty, and just seeing the, uh, the the rage quitting of your opponent. That's just like it feels good. And I think that those openings are still possible in in this format. Oh yeah, don't forget. Earth Cult Elemental on turn four must be also an 8-8 at least, so uh, you need that claim uh, power to, 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 to help it. But Earth Cult Elemental is doing... <clears throat> I never said I'm a good person. Um, Earth Cult Elemental is not doing very well in any other color combination. It just does well with, in black-red. Um, so uh, mind that. It means that probably the impact of sacrificing that permanent 
is diminishing the later you play it. You literally want to play it on turn four. And you literally want to have this attrition kind of um, uh, gameplay when, when when people have to really think hard what do they uh, sacrifice. Obviously, as a card, also any kind of mana problem from the opponent, um, it's taking over the game. Um, a trap, a slight trap at least, um, in this format is improvised weaponry. It doesn't have like a terrible win rate, 55.4 in some color combinations would have been a top common. But it's underwhelming and it's picked higher. And I think it's worse than it was uh, because some targets of it are not as prevalent and uh, um, not as important, maybe. Um, so improvised weaponry, in my opinion, took a slight hit in this format and you should maybe deprioritize it. Um, um, I think that uh, DDA VP um, has a point that uh, there's just too many two threes or three toughness creatures that it just doesn't deal efficiently with. And there's a couple of better removals, um, um, yeah. And, and the treasure also doesn't give as much as it did before, even your Elf Cult Elemental builds. <clears throat> so, you know, still a decent card, but just like you don't have to kill yourself for getting it. If you don't get it, you're going to be fine. Um, Signpost and Common, Kalein, 58.5, which is decent. <clears throat> Not the best. Not the worst, slightly above average, um, uh, absolutely fine to play. And in some builds, it's going to be uh, essential. And I think it's like opening win, uh, opening hand win rate is uh, quite high, so you probably want to play multiples of it as well. The star of the archetype is Mephit's Enthusiasm, a new printed card. Um, and it has 62.9% um, win rate. Uh, the card is just doing pretty good things uh, for you, removing really annoying things, even at the, the, the sorcerer speed, but dealing with, you know, every single early creature. The hidden gem I found was uh, Goblin Trap Finder. When it dies, seek a creature card with mana value three or less, and that card perpetually gains haste. This spell costs two less to cast, and at the beginning of your end step, sacrifice this creature. I think that basically can unearthed from your hand, sort of. But uh, I think that it's quite easy um, um, to play in this deck. It's easy to sacrifice and get the trigger. Gives you this uh, one extra super speedy attack. Um, uh, it just does nice things. And 59.3, you know, when you think about it, when you sacrifice it to the Sepulcher Gulf, you push four damage, so two damage more, and then your, um, uh, your three mana or two mana, uh, two mana three one will become a one mana, 5-1 and, and, and first strike or something like super hard to um, uh, super hard to kill and also if they block it they just lose a creature so you basically drew a removal spot that's uh, that's, that's that's about it um, the trap I found for this um, particular color combination is two-handed axe 51% uh, win rate it's too low doesn't do enough I know that some people called it the ember cleave uh, but I think at least in this archetype it doesn't um, it doesn't shine. I can check red um, uncommons. Uh, how is it doing in other form, in other color combinations? But it 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 just doesn't like it. It doesn't impress. And white red is below average. In blue red, I mean, it definitely doesn't impress. Probably it's not even has enough of a sample size in there. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't have enough of an uh, of a of a sample size in blue red, black red we know, and maybe in red green. Uh, pop, 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 um, two hundred x fifty two point four percent. It's 
It's probably not 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 uh, not good enough. Even though there is a hype of it being the new Ember Cleef, maybe some builds that utilize it more efficiently will emerge. But it looks like a trap in black red at least. And the trophy deck, that example, sweet one. Uh, it has two cobalt war, war colors. It has one armor of shadows, a card that impresses in terms of its numbers uh, as a one of most likely. Um, three battle cry goblins, yay. Um, Two Kalanes, uh, some bunch of like menial two drops. It has a couple of the giant fire beetles, um, a vampire spawn, two Savrocks, which is amazing, uh, Grim Hireling, which is a bomb, uh, Wrathful Red Dragon, which is a bomb, and um, uh, Dragonborn Immolator, uh, uh, which is not a bomb, but somehow works in this particular deck. Immolator bomb status confirmed, yeah. Um, but I guess, like, despite having the emulator and maybe also the uh, fire beetles, uh, which are also not showing great numbers, this deck managed to trophy in high uh, ranks. So, yeah, I mean, Armor Shadow is a bit of a blessed hippogriff at home. But when you think about it, if you attack with your um, giant fire beetles, they double block it to kill it, and then you play Armor of Shadows, it survives and kills one of the blockers, maybe even both. Um, and you play the second giant fire beetles, you are pretty ahead. Or if you make that big swing with the battle cry goblin and they block it to kill it, uh, and then you make it survive, you're pretty good. Uh, again, Savrog, the same kind of thing might happen with it. So uh, this deck was attacking with some really fragile creatures um, that could have a lot of power because of Savrog, because of battle cry goblin, because of uh, um, uh, other things. And this Armor of Shadows might do just enough that the card is pretty decent. Okay, black-green, the best common, Linnorm, 61.8%, uh, which is really high for that color combination, like really high. Um, the card is great, and it's pretty high in every single green color combination. It's worth being played in every deck as a one-off, and in some decks uh, I would play free in the black-green probably if I would build it my way. I already managed to reanimate Linnorm uh, on turn four, and uh, to the instant concede of the opponent. Um, and it feels good. Um, Hidden Gem, Armor of Shadows, it had really good 60% win rate, um, and it's a card that wheels, so you can always get it, and I think that it's worth having um, having one in your deck. Uh, the trap for this particular color combination is Scaled Nurturer. Um, and I think it's mainly because you don't need to ramp from two to four. You need to ramp from three to five. And there's a two drop you want to play, a two drop that will deal with something attacking you. Um, so that, 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 that seems to be the case for me. Um, okay, the signpost uncommon Kaga is 56.7%. Um, uh, it's okay, nothing super special, uh, but uh, you know, not, not terrible. But it's markedly lower than Sculpt Merchant, the top card for the uh, archetype at 63.1. Um, again, card is good, uh, but in this archetype, it does better than in the others. Um, Lurking Roper is the hidden gem at 58.1% win rate. Um, I was quite surprised to see it because this is not really a life gain uh, archetype, but I guess, again, big wall that requires spells to be dealt with uh, and opens up, um, um, frees up removal for your really big creatures like Linorm. Uh, it's pretty good. This slight trap that I notice is uh, Scanos the Dragon Vassal, and it has okay win rate. It has probably a win rate at around the um, win rate of this archetype on average. But the card is picked very highly, so you have to 
sacrifice a super high peg because this one has also um, two and 0.4 or something like that. So quite highly picked, you know, like it disappears on first pick, second pick or third pick. And the win rate is only 55%. This is not something that is um, uh, optimistic for me. I mean, I, you'd still probably pick it. It can win games. But my experience with this card is that you play it, it dies and you move on with your life. Um, rarely can achieve something and it, you, you're afraid of blocking with it. So it leads to maybe bad, um, uh, bad blocking patterns. You probably just should play Ether Cup instead and uh, and and then live live the best life uh, through that. Um, right, this is the trophy deck that I found. Um, Shambling Gust, couple of Null Hunters. It does have the scale nurturers, but again, it has good four drop. It also has the Reanimator spell um, uh, creature guy, so that might be interesting. Skullport Merchant, Arcane Archery. Um, follow the tracks for ramping from three to five. Uh, grave choice to sewer plagues, uh, you know, ambition dragonborn. It has a bit of weirdness there. So it has the beholder as the ramp, emerald dragon as the ramp uh, target. So uh, I don't know exactly how that one worked out. And the eyes of the beholder actually perform decently in that archetype. So, you know, sometimes you can prioritize two drops and leave your big removal to eyes of the beholder uh, because probably in this deck you will be able to play it because the games last a bit longer. And I don't know if Eldritch Pact was the win condition for that deck. I, I wouldn't be surprised um, because uh, it's, a, it's a strange inclusion. But it did trophy and diamond, so uh, it's, something went right there. Um, last archetype, red-green. The best common, underseller Myconid, 57.7. Um, well, this is a much weaker archetype. Um, but already the underseller Myconid suggests that this is not the red-green you remember from AFR when it was all about aggro. Uh, it's uh, more of, again, ramp and drop big stuff. Uh, hidden gem I found was Ethercap, 5 mana, 2-5 with reach, and it also has an adventure that can destroy target creature with flying. It performed solidly in there with 56% win rate, so slightly below the underseller Myconid, but not that far away. So. Uh, there might be something about needing to have reach and dealing with flyers in this card as a one-off. Uh, we'll be just perfectly doing that. <coughs> the trap uh, that I found was Giant Fire Beetles, the three mana menace double team. It just probably doesn't fit with the plan that this deck has. It's a sort of aggressive small creature that is overpriced because you can get two of them. Uh, that's not what this deck wants to be doing. Uh, it wants the small creatures, by the way, like in the Underseller Myconid, um, where you can use the 1-1 one, one to jump block something, gain life, and then manage to survive uh, for a couple of more turns once you stop dropping big things. Obviously, Linorm and Headquarter Giant uh, are quite high on the list of uh, best uh, commons in that particular color combination. Uh, signpost, Dracos the Butcher, 54.9, so 55% win rate. Again, nothing impressive, nothing too uh, terrible. Um, archetype star is Draconic Muralist, so four mana for a 4-3 that when it dies, it brings Linorn to your hand. Um, yeah, 58.8. Uh, this card is good in every green color combination. It's just that in red-green that was particularly good. Um, I'm joking with the Linorn. It's a dragon, but most of the time it is going to be a Linorn, though. Um, so not much to say. The card just has good stats and draws you a card at the end of it. Um, Hidden Gem is Gate to Manorborn, but also the Red Gate is performing well. And particularly in this archetype, those gates are performing well. 
it's probably because there is not much card draw in uh, in the color combination anyway. So having those gates uh, is beneficial more than in other color combinations. They were quite um, uh, high win rate cards with 56%. That's, you know, both of them were at roughly the same level. If they both have a you know higher win rate than, uh, uh, than the signpost and common, that, that tells you something. The big, 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 big and surprising trap that I found in this uh, deck is the Null Hunting Party, the six mana 4-4. Four, four. It costs one less for each attacking creature, has double team, <coughs> and on your turn has first strike. It's probably because your plan is not to attack early. This card is good when you attack on turn three with three creatures and uh, or on turn four with three creatures and you drop that on the uh, battlefield uh, and your opponent needs to deal with them um, uh, with the four for first strike next turn uh, that will draw another one and in this deck combination probably just doesn't happen so most of the time it's going to be a six mana four four that maybe or maybe not will bring something else at that stage you probably want to play lenorm or headgorger um in one swift move um, so null hunting party, this deck is just not assertive early enough for you to play it. You will have to make unfavorable attacks and you don't want that. So yeah, there you go. Uh, example of a trophy deck, uh, Cobalt War Color, Dueling Rapier, which had some numbers. I mean, it, it, it was okay in a couple of decks. Uh, favorite enemy, that's the uh, enchantment that makes you fight. Uh, there's Battlecry Goblin and three captains um, to support it. Scaled Nurturer, because here you have uh, some ramping to um, uh, some ramping to four. Uh, Underag Basilisk, which is weird because deck is aggressive. You have this defensive uh, uh, defensive creature. I think Springbok. I think that this deck is sort of like it presents this sort of aggro deck in the beginning, and late in the game it can drop some really uh, annoying uh, larger threats. Um, yeah. There's Wilson, which is a good card always, and like a bunch of nothingness really, like under uh, seller Myconid that ramps into nothing really, to Thrakos, I guess, on turn four. There's the Draconic Muralist to fetch the Linworm. Oh. Uh, Monster Manual for some reason. So the deck looks a bit weird. There's the Druid of the Emerald Grove to ramp you later. I don't know, I don't know exactly how this deck worked, but it did trophy, I think, in Mythic even. So, um, you know, something went right. Sometimes you get players who are playing so well that uh, they can win with, uh, you know, a bunch of weird cards. I think that I don't like that build in particular, but I told you that could be the first build that I found for every color combination. But it does have some like solid top end and this uh, early thread that might be just, um, um, uh, you know, maybe the early damage was just enough, and then and then all of a sudden you play Nullificeni or Linorm and, uh, and and you win the game. Um, Okay, that's it for the archetypes. And the last part that uh, remains for me to um, to talk about is draft versus sealed and slightly big picture, uh, just a couple of slots. So we're almost there, we're almost there, don't worry. Um, so first things first, sealed win rate is much lower than the draft win rate in terms of 17 lens users. It's like three percentage points different. Now, I don't know if it's because sealed is just more even, or is it because players with slightly lower skill level played more sealed and the grinders went straight to draft? I don't know. Um, I would assume that good players would practice the sealed a bit because the sealed um, qualifi qualifiers come soon, but maybe they wanted to play draft first and figure out all the cards and then move to sealed. Who knows? 
Um, so if there is an average of three percentage point uh, win rate drop, almost every archetype, red bars are win rates in draft, blue bars are win rates in sealed. Almost in every archetype, the win rates in draft are higher than in sealed. One exception is is it? And it's absolutely natural. It's still like low win rate. It's 50% win rate in is it in sealed, but 50% when the average for all the archetypes is 53 is way better than 49% when average for each archetype is 56. So um, uh, is it is markedly better? Probably because you open your pool, you already know that you have those um, is it bombs uh, or blue bombs or red bombs with like super good uh, blue support. Uh, so with that, you probably shouldn't be worried about playing is it in sealed. What you should be worried playing is uh, Simic and Demir, which have really bad win rates. Uh, and my guess would be that those decks need a bit more synergistic card pools and sealed will just not provide you with those. Um, both Demir and Simic have a really low 45% win rate. So for in case of Simic, it's almost like a almost 10 percentage points drop uh, between draft and sealed uh, in terms of win rate. So maybe because uh, Simic is a bit more A, B, C, A plus B plus C, uh, getting all the components right is just tricky. So be wary about assembling a blue uh, green tech or blue-black. Now, um, I told you that Izzet has is the only archetype where actually the win rate is slightly higher in, um, in um, sealed than in draft. Two other archetypes are quite close, and that's Gruel, which has a very uh, similar win rate in uh, sealed and draft, which means that in sealed it's really close to the average archetype, while it's um, uh, way below the average in draft. And Boros, which has a small difference between um, sealed and draft. It's best in draft and it's also best in sealed. So uh, the aggro strategies, even in the less synergistic sealed decks seem to be also working. Um, and yeah, in general, like uh, Boros and Orzov have a higher win rate than average. And the rest is sort of, is either close to average in Selesnya, Rakdos and Golgari, or, uh, and, and Gruul maybe, or below uh, average, as in Azorius, Izzet, uh, Simic, and Demir. Like all four um, uh, blue archetypes are the bottom four. So um, uh, uh, read, read to it uh, what you will. <clears throat> okay. Now, which cards are doing, oh, hopefully, yes. Um, which cards are doing better in draft than in sealed? Uh, I have a list here of uh, some cards. Rhyme Shield Frost Giant, for some reason, does 12 percentage points better in draft than it does in sealed. Uh, then we have a bunch of bombs that do better in draft because maybe they need some synergy, I guess. Um, and Horn of Valhalla and uh, uh, Lukamina Moon Druid. Kalein is doing better in draft than in sealed. Again, this card probably, uh, you know, gains something from synergy. Uh, we have Inspiring Bard, Poison the Blade, but these cards are, you know, menial, so let's not put too much weight on it. Alora, this is another card that probably does well with synergy. Pseudo Dragon Familiar, I don't know. Drider, it does less worse in draft than it does in sealed, but it's mainly because in sealed it does atrociously. Two other cards that probably need uh, synergy so Raphael, Fiendish Savior, and uh, Minthara of the Absolute, uh, and Black Market Connections. Um, um, uh, and I'm going to actually check it uh, live as we do it. Maybe it's something to do with uh, sealed deck games uh, for this format being slightly longer. Uh, let's get this bloody 
Heroes of Baldur's Gate. And let's look at all the formats. Blah, blah, blah. Let's remove stuff from those graphs. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so. Sealed is taking as long as it does in draft and it has a higher advantage. Wow, that's funny. That's funny, that's, that's so funny. Um, I've just looked at the data for sealed and, uh, and draft and best of one draft and best of one seals, the games take exactly the same time, but there's a biggest, bigger on the play advantage um, um, for sealed than for uh, draft by roughly 0.8 percentage points. And it's exactly the same thing uh, with uh, with best of three draft and best of three sealed. Games take the same amount of time in, 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 in draft and sealed. So there is no, because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, uh, uh, the, the sealed games are slower. They're not, in, according to this uh, database, at least. But, uh, but you can have a bigger advantage of being on the play, which is mind boggling. Okay, interesting thing to uh, to dive into and, and look at the multi multi format comparisons, for example. Right, let's go back to this one. Um, so we have other a bunch of other cards like brick market connections might also need a bit more synergy, but it's weird that it has such a big advantage in draft. Yeah, Dryder, you're your boy Dryder. Gary Salad um, also does better in draft. I guess this is another card that requires synergy, and the rest is boring. There are a couple of cards that do better in sealed, and I think that one in particular that uh, that has uh, way better numbers is you find the villain slayer. That's the uh, blue counter spell, um, the blue cancel variant that also lets you uh, faithless looting basically for three. Seven point five percentage points higher win rate in sealed than in um, than in draft. Well, judging by the fact that. Uh, the sealed win rate is already on average three percentage points lower. This is quite a large difference, and um, it's still, you know, not a great card by no stretch of imagination. But and now I'm waiting for my um, for my Excel to warm up a bit and then and, and start doing stuff. Uh, but it has a fifty six percent win rate in sealed, um, so that's above average. I guess it means that you should be playing, you'll find the Villain Slayer if you play a blue deck because Sealed is full of bombs and you want to counter them. Um, also, the Null Hunting Party is doing better in uh, in Sealed because probably the draws are a bit more clunky and uh, it can win more. Um, so it has 58.5% per percent win rate, game and hand win rate in Sealed and only 53.8% in draft i guess it just gives a better advantage and guardian naga is also a decent card so it has like 57 percent to game and hand win rate you want to play that bomb in white uh, or not, not a bomb the big dumb creature because very often your opponent will have a pool that doesn't have enough removal and maybe they can't deal with it and then it takes over the game quite readily and rally maneuver also has decent numbers in sealed uh we're thinking about um, all the other cards are well, so-so, and the differences are not so bad, big. But Owl Shepherd, I think, is uh, also markedly better in sealed than it is in draft because, again, not everyone will have removal, and um, and if they don't have the removal, 
So Zach, I had one, I played one sealed so far and my sealed deck had very little two drops and they were just designed to survive. But I had a superior top end and I just ate the uh, aggro decks because they are just not as consistent as they are in draft. They can still, you know, do a chunk of damage, but it was, I found it much easier to stabilize. And then I just started churning out my whatever younger adult, uh, young blue dragons, and then I managed to win. But okay, having said that, let's call it a day for today. Uh, so for my acknowledgements, I'd like to thank the 17 Lens team, especially Ale Ballini, who is like really pulling his weight uh, at the moment to, to, to make 17 Lens work because, uh, you know, uh, he's the newest member of the team and uh, he has taken up a bunch of uh, uh, things to do in terms of uh, uh, replay data from this weird set that has all those new uh, mechanics. So thanks to them and, of course, Virums Nomar Hulu Grand Wu. Um, I would like to thank my sponsor again, uh, mtgazone.com. Uh, give them a try if you are interested in cool limited content. I will try to write some conclusions from the stream today uh, for an article tomorrow. And again, thanks Jake Brown, who is even on his holiday, was churning out those episodes for my magic numbers uh, as in a podcast form. And while we were at it, I would like to thank also SSQ and Mana Junkie for the music I'm using in the podcast. And with that, I'll talk to you next week. 